G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Hi everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is our preliminary final preview edition. We're a week and a half away from the big one. Two massive preliminary finals this weekend. One in Adelaide, one in Brisbane for the right to play off at that first ever Gabba Grand Final. We're going to break down both the Port Adelaide, Richmond and Brisbane Geelong games in deep, vivid and graphic detail. Plenty of other news to talk about and the rant-offs are back. So we'll be ranting till you can't take any more at the end of this program. As I say, a very good morning to my footyology co-host, Mark Fine. How are you, Fine? I'm well. I think we're and really in line for a couple of magnificent preliminary finals. I know that we always hope for great games, but could it, could it be set up any better? Two top teams, both at home, both relatively new to finals await, and their two opponents had thumping wins in the semifinals, franking their positions as top four teams. It's a heavyweight clash, both in South Australia and in Queensland. I can't wait. It's hard not to see it in boxing terms. It's very much the challengers taking on the champs, isn't it? And uh, With great who, credentials. Yes, who will prevail? I'll tell you uh, who will always prevail, Finey, our magnificent sponsors. Well, we know that all Melbournians are waiting, you know, almost hanging on till Sunday for the Andrews decree. Well, if you're within five kilometres... You don't have to wait for Sunday for the Andrews hamburger. Of course, I speak of Daniel Andrews and what's going to happen to Melbourne in the next stage of lockdown. Well, you don't lock down if you're within 5Ks of the best hamburger in town. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Why don't you use your Google Maps to find out if you're within the zone? And if you are... Make a beeline to Andrew's Hamburgers for the traditional best hamburger in Australia. I think the Andrew's decree should actually be delivered out the front of Andrew's Hamburgers, don't you? That would give it a, a more regal sort of air, although actually going by the news this morning, it might lead to Andrew's Hamburgers being trashed and vandalised. So maybe that's not a very good idea. Although if someone was to trash and vandalise it, I know who'd be first on the scene to give them a magnificent renovation. Beautiful segue, Rowan. It would be West Point Properties and Nick Spartel. He'd be there with his master builders and giving you the very latest, not only bringing you back to where you were, but taking you far beyond your expectation and dreams. Whether it's a new build, a rebuild or a renovation, it's West Point Properties Nick Spartel. Home builders and renovators to the stars, 
and uh, hopefully one day when we're even uh, remotely well off to us as well. They are wonderful builders. Make sure if you're considering renovating, you dial up West Point Properties uh, after you've popped into Andrew's Hamburgers and sampled their beautiful, delectable, delectable, delectable wares. All right, we've got a lot to get through. Let's waste no more time. On Footyology, Newsfeed. News, news, news. Stop the presses, hold the front page, all that uh, cliched stuff. Uh, there's always heaps around. And uh, even though we the official trade period only goes for a small amount of time, it seems the unofficial trade period now lasts most of the season and ramps up during the finals. It's a steady diet of speculation about this player going there or that player going somewhere else. Uh, also, the delistings keep trickling through and a uh, bit of a sad story on the Collingwood front. Finally, uh, yesterday, the Pies officially delisting a couple more of their own, Matt Sharonberg and Tim Broomhead. And two guys, you could say, were really cursed on the uh, fortune front, poor old Matt Scharenberg was just a, a catalogue of injuries from him, really, from go to woe. He had one period there a couple of years ago where he managed to get a bit of uh, game time under his belt and ended up becoming a pretty important defender for them, but uh, then cursed again. And uh, it's over for him at the Pies. Tim Broomhead uh, is an interesting one because I, what I saw of him pre injury uh I, I was quite impressed by and I, I just I always thought he might be one of those guys that would become one of their mainstays but shocking shocking injury I, I was there at this game when they played GWS I think it was round two at the MCG probably five years ago now or four years ago smashed into the uh, goalpost broke his leg very very badly and really never recovered from that so two guys hopeful of being picked up elsewhere, but uh, it's over for them uh, For with the black and white. Yeah, I mean, there have been delistings coming through. Sharon Berg, as you say, highly touted youngster, no luck whatsoever. And I guess with a name like Broomhead, you're worried every year when there are sweeping changes at your club that <laughs> you might be the headline. Well, steady on there, because my uh, maternal uh, grandparent's name was Broom Hall. Oh, so, well, that's ironic, isn't it, given the state of your hallway? Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I was going to say something about <laughs> needing a broom head to sweep a broom hall. Yeah, no, I was just sort of thinking you could use with a, you could use a broom down your hallway from memory. But anyhow, being a broom hall or a broom head, sweeping changes would you had, had you nervous. Back to the more serious side of trade week. And let's start with Collingwood, with Jordan Degoe. Almost um, an echo of Dustin Martin many years ago when his father took it upon himself to have a sort of um, toe in the water and see whether anybody would pay the mega bucks for Dustin. Of course, um, ultimately staying at Richmond and the rest, as they say, is sweet history for the Tigers. Well, similarly speaking, do you think there might be a few Collingwood people who'll be hoping Jordan Degoe's father gets deported as well? Well, you know what? 
at the price of a million dollars, they might want Jordan to go with him. Because let's be honest, I've got no doubt Jordan to go is a max winner. And he's worth a fair price on the market because players like that are not common. And they are, I think what a lot of teams would probably see as maybe the final piece in a puzzle to get them in the premiership frame. But how can you ask for that sort of money on the back of a very mediocre season that probably sums up your career a bit? Yes, some great games and some match-winning performances. Most notably, first time around um, against, uh, was it Port, uh, was it against Brisbane? I'm trying to think. Um, the, what was the game that he kicked five goals in? Anywho. Um, but uh, I was against Geelong. Against Geelong. My apologies. Number of games missed through injury seems to be part of his DNA. And then some games, like the final just played so disappointingly against the Cats, uh, no appearance, Your Honour. To expect to be in the Million Dollar Club on the back of that is presumptuous. I would think Carlton have distanced themselves from early claims that they were making a play for Dugowie. And apparently, at this stage, no suitors, Your Honour. So what do you make of that gambit? Well, it just seems, I mean, you know, it, it's the wrong wrong place, wrong time, isn't it? I, I don't think this is the year you want to be sort of making those very speculative and over-the-top sort of contract gambits. We're in a, well, we're not even in a post-COVID world yet. We're in a, we're in a COVID world. Everyone's tightening the purse strings. You know, clubs are laying off half their football departments. I'm not sure they're in a position to be splashing out to that extent on players who, as you say, and we all know how good his best is, but he, he probably hasn't delivered it consistently enough to be commanding anywhere near that sort of money, I think. And and I, I think that's going to remain the case after COVID. You know, the, it's going to be a smaller game with smaller wages and smaller playing lists and smaller everything, really. So it's probably time to get a bit more into the real world with... Um, what you're trying to seek with a new contract. So he's, yeah, I don't think his dad's sort of helping him much, to be perfectly honest. No, but surely his dad's doing it with his consent. So Jordan Dugowie can't distance himself from what is being put out in the marketplace. Let's move on. And still no word on Jeremy Cameron. The two big you know, they always talk about the domino pieces to fall to get trade week really humming. Of course, we're not in trade week yet, but it seems as though Brad Crouch and Jeremy Cameron are the two big domino pieces. Neither of them have indicated what their futures will be, though we know Brad Crouch's will not be at Adelaide or Port Adelaide now because they've dropped out of the race, but apparently a number of clubs still in the race, not deterred by his post-season drugs indiscretion. And, of course, the bonus with Brad Crouch, being a free agent, no club has to give up anything to get him. The AFL will provide the compensation. Jeremy Cameron, most people are leaning towards him staying at the Giants, but Geelong, who are right in the market for Crouch as well, uh, front runners, maybe with Collingwood, for the services of Jeremy Cameron, if he does waver. That You'd think that Collingwood Rowan need a new forward line with a major change heading into 2021 because 
Myocek and Cox do not work. They're not reliable enough as a big man combination to take that team forward, I would have thought. No, no, they definitely need a key forward. In fact, it's, it's, it's a bit of deja vu about all this. Collingwood looking for a key forward, Geelong sniffing around a key forward. I seem to have been hearing this the best part of 30 years from the time Collingwood was chasing uh, your old man, Plugger Lockett. So uh, the more things change, the more they stay the same in that respect. I'll tell you one thing which intrigued me, finally, Adrian Dodoro, Essendon Wisp manager, popping his head above the parapet. He lives for this time of year. And uh, basically uh, taking the piss, I would suggest, in uh, looking to do a deal with Carlton on Adam Saad and asking in return either Charlie Curnow, Harry Mackay or Sam Walsh. So good to see that Essendon uh, has really taken stock and is becoming more realistic about the sort of trade deals it's pursuing. Fair income, Fawny. What is going on at that place? I mean, that is... It's sort of standard to Doro, but it basically says, I'm going to be difficult to deal with. Apparently, uh, when Carlton rejected that, the play B was Carlton's first draft pick and young ruckman Tom DeConning. And Carlton have slammed the door on that as well. Now, if Adrian Todoro wants to maintain a reputation of, um, it's not even difficult to deal with. It's, it's, um, No, it's basically rudeness. He knows market values. And to put that out there is basically an insult to the team that he's dealing with. Basically saying, up yours, I'm not available for, I'm I'm not available to talk this through. It's actually quite childish. Um, Braden Proust, the... Very strange Melbourne recruit a couple of years, three years back, I think now, from North Melbourne, because, of course, Melbourne had Max Gorn. So where Braden Proust was going to fit in was questionable, but Melbourne's never been scared of doubling up on what they've got and ignoring what they don't, has indicated that this time making a much better career move, that he is heading to the potentially, even though we're not 100% sure on Mumford's future, the potentially ruckless GWS. So that deal will get done. That one makes sense, doesn't it, Rowan? Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, Ruckman, you know, it's, a, it's sort of like the wicketkeeper of a AFL team now, isn't it? There's really only spot for one. Um, well, no, no, no. Well, if you're, if you're the second banana at most clubs now, you're strictly back up. Yeah, I've got a feeling that two is going to, be back in vogue, not just on the back of what St Kilda did. Port Adelaide are more than happy to play two Ruckman. West Coast Eagles, oh, by the way, Tom Hickey looks like he may go to a fourth club, Sydney Swans, needing that sort of backup, have indicated an interest in him. Would you call Oscar Allen a second Ruckman? Maybe not, more a forward Ruckman. But certainly um, Brisbane, when Stephen Martin was available. He's back with Oscar McInerney. Uh, the idea is it only works if the Ruckman that you've got can at least one of them play meaningful minutes up forward. So you are right. If you're a pure second Ruckman at a club, then it's like the easiest job on the planet being the reserve goalkeeper for a big soccer team. They earn about a million pounds a year to sit on their ass and watch 
a lot of soccer. How's that for a job? Well, um, for Mark Bosnich. I'll tell you what, they say, you know, these reserve goalkeepers say they hate it and they want to be in the game, but they certainly don't mind cashing the paycheck. Still, there's only about 10 of them on the planet, so I shouldn't be too jealous. Let's move on. And uh, there's probably a lot of movement, uh, a lot of suggested movement around a couple of clubs. One of them, of course, your Bombers, with unsurprisingly the third of the, I'm going to use a Roman Connolly word here, Troika. <laughs> Is that your word? Yeah, I like Troika. Yeah, uh, Orazio Fantasia making it public that he wants out and it's now up to Adelaide and Port Adelaide to fight over what, when fit, is a pretty handy small forward. Yeah, well, that's going to be the question mark on him, his durability, because he's just dogged by soft tissue injuries probably the last two and a half seasons now, if not three seasons. Um, Should throw in at this point too, whilst there is... Definitely, there has been an exodus of players at this, and they have managed to at least re-sign three planks of the future. In fact, some would argue the three main planks of their future at the moment, uh, and that is Andy McGrath, Kyle Langford, and newly crowned best and fairest winner, uh, Jordan Ridley. So they'll be uh, breathing a bit easier with those three locked away. Interesting comments from all three of them, actually, about the future there. It's sort of... um, makes one think there was definitely a bit of a divide happening between senior players at the club and the younger players looking forward to life under Ben Rutten as coach. So uh, a small bit of decent news there for the Bombers in what's been a pretty wretched couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, it has been a wretched couple of weeks and there are stories now emerging from Essendon. We know that Devon Smith has sort of uh, become public, uh, a little bit public in his dissatisfaction at goings on at the club and keen to see whether or not he could be released from his contract. And central to a couple of the senior players' disappointment with the club, apparently, and this is only rumoured at this stage, was a delegation that went to Ben Rutten and canvassed the players' wanting Tom Bell Chambers to receive a farewell game. And yeah, well, yeah, go on. apparently Ben Rutten said, I picked the team. See you later, boys, and never selected him for that farewell game. Yeah, well, that one's that one's been around for a while now. And uh, the worst part of that was the uh, players allegedly went to the CEO and tried to get him to overrule the coach. Um, that just smacks of the tail wagging the dog to me. Uh, in the end, Bell Chambers was actually asked if he wanted to play a farewell game, and he said no. Uh, and with all due respect, I mean, it's not we're not talking about John Coleman here, you know. Um, call me a hard ass, but I mean, if we're going to make this much of a hullabaloo about Tom Bell Chambers, it sort of says a bit about how, again, another bit about how far standards have fallen. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I reckon if he wanted a farewell game, he shouldn't have been doing stupid double pythons in his second last, what would have been his second last game when the team was getting annihilated. Yeah, that didn't sit well with me, that one. Um, actually, speaking of the Bombers, Finey, uh, another interesting story bobbed up. Uh, James Hurd's father, Alan Hurd Jr., 
uh, has penned another letter to uh, the Herald Sun, which they have run in full. Um, and he's made the point about Essendon not being able to really move on as a club until they reconcile the fallout from the drug saga. And I know most people in footy are sick to death of hearing about it, but there is a fundamental, um, what's the word, uh, contradiction really uh, in this and in how the Essendon Football Club has treated it, which is that they maintain the players' innocence and yet they haven't really been prepared to uh, to prove their innocence. Their, their, their whole attitude since it finished is, you know, let's move on. And I understand that to one point, but I, I think there is definitely still baggage from this hanging around impacting on relationships of not necessarily people within the club, but I think key figures outside the club. And James Hurd is certainly one of them. The other point that, uh, well, the other thing he points out very pointedly is he, he has a real shot ac- across the bows uh, at former president David Evans. And this is something that's never sat well with a lot of Essendon people. And I, I think I'm one of them. And that is the way that David Evans, after being part of this sort of stage attempt to stage manage the whole thing, um, you know, he had that, I don't know, breakdown in inverted commas, but uh, very abruptly resigned from the presidency and just disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, and I think as the more time has gone on, the sort of more ordinary that action has looked, I think. Um, he was definitely in step with the AFL's attempt to stage manage it, which backfired spectacularly and left Essendon in even more of a a hole than they would have been had they sought to tough it out themselves. Um, and no one ended up winning out of this. And there's all this baggage left laying around. Uh, David Evans, you know, went from being a high-profile president to the Howard Hughes of the, the football world, still hasn't made a single comment about it. Um, you know, if I was one of those people directly affected by it, I'd be pretty pissed off about how not just Evans, but a, a range of people were able to wriggle out of the whole thing, go on with their lives while the players basically and a group of coaches and officials all left to carry the can. You know, this sounds like, you know, we've got the um, like six stages of loss. I think they're denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, and then moving on. It seems as though we've got the, the six or five stages of an AFL club in crisis. Yeah. And at the moment, we are mired in the public airing of dirty laundry. Yeah, well, there are many. I mean, well, Heard makes the point in this letter that they're a club that had successfully generally managed to negotiate its own issues because of a, a fairly loyal bond between all people involved. And he accuses Evans of who broke that degree of trust between the stakeholders in the club and it's it's really never been recovered and I sort of feel that too I mean there, there may be a even even the so-called new broom you know that swept through the club with people in new you know newer people in administrative positions that's not really the case is it I mean Xavier Campbell the CEO he was at the club when the saga happened uh, half of the very, board. very much, very much the shuffling of deck shares, isn't it? Yeah, well, half of the board were the board of governance when it happened. So, what are they still doing there? 
you know, it's it's been a real half-assed sort of attempt to move on. And I think, um, in a way, they've paid the price, not not directly through what's happened with the player exodus and stuff, but certainly in terms of the unrest and distrust and lack of faith that key stakeholders now have in their club. And, um, you know, I'm not, I don't want to spend the whole off-season banging on about Essendon, but it's not a great place at the moment. And I don't think those running it are any closer to reconciling that, coming to terms with it, and genuinely attempting to do something about it. Look, so having, you know, the supporter of a club that's been through more than their fair share of these moments in their history, the Band-Aid is being pulled off slowly at Essendon, no doubt about it. And unfortunately, what needs to happen is rock bottom before real change occurs. But know this, that you are in the final stages of decline. And what follows is a quite exciting sort of rebirth. So, yeah, there are heads to roll still, I'm sure. But Essendon finally is public about, and I said the airing of dirty laundry, not in a negative way, but things now going public mean that your football club is closer to making those big decisions. And normally it's driven by members making those big decisions that will generate genuine change. Well, unfortunately, this one won't be driven by members finally because the members have sweet FA say in the uh, process yeah. now. Yeah. It's the court of public opinion. Yeah. Well, we uh, have to be heard. Yeah. Well, I think people are already starting to move on. So they've ridden out the storm pretty much and uh, they're probably going to get away with it. Uh, that is unless certain of us keep the pressure on. So uh, as you said a couple of weeks ago, Finey, watch this space because I'm still massively pissed off about it. All right, uh, another interesting uh, story, finally, concerning umpiring for the grand final. No bounce, no good for Ray Chamberlain. And, of course, Ray is a polarising figure for fans. I sometimes feel that he is his own worst enemy because he is a fairly um, forthright umpire and the spotlight shines on him and he doesn't mind it. But I also believe... Uh, throughout his career, he's been a very good umpire. Remember, he umpired the two uh, grand finals in 2010. That's a decade ago. He's had some injury concerns, but umpiring very well recently and will not be umpiring this year's grand final, uh, mainly because of his inability to bounce the ball. And and, uh, that means uh, no ray for the rest of the season. Is that right, though? I mean, has he... I, I thought that he hadn't officially been told why. Well, that's right. He has not been told why. That's 100% correct. But, you know, uh, if it... uh, What's the old saying? Where there's smoke, there's blue cod. I I, I would say that that is the smoking gun. Um, Those bounces were at times embarrassing. And poor old Ray, you know, he would bounce it and then they'd do the close-up on him and it was... That was one spotlight he didn't like glaring on him. Yeah, so what do you make of it? Um, Well, I make of it that we shouldn't have the bounce. I mean, I I remember I I wrote a story about this for The Age, I reckon, at least five, six years ago after talking to Hayden Kennedy about it. The umpires don't like it. It's, It's a totally ceremonial function. It has no 
genuine impact on the game. Uh, it causes them injuries. They've had umpires who have had to give it away because of injuries to their backs and shoulders and stuff. And people sort of have a bit of a laugh about that, but that's, you know, that's fact that has happened. And, you know, it's not a, it's not a piece of the game that is fundamental. You know, I've said this before. It's not like I never see anyone going at the, going to the footy, watching the first bounce of the game or at the start of each quarter going, Oh, don't you just love that? No, we really don't. We dispense with the bounce downs around the ground probably, what, 10 years ago or so. Uh, no one missed that. It's all rubbish. It's, it's, it is one tradition that we could absolutely do without, particularly if it's going to be, as a result, costing us potentially some of the best umpires in the caper. And I think Ray is one of those. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Ray fan. I mean, apart from being a terrific bloke, I think he is a very good umpire and the back chat and stuff, I actually quite like that. I, I like the dialogue he has with the players. And, um, yeah, it's a real shame that because of bouncing, which really isn't something fundamental to the way the game is played out, he doesn't get the opportunity to umpire. So that's that's my take on it. Yeah, I, I, I like the bounce. I think you'll find that Ruckman disagrees that there's an art to rucking to a bounce that is very different to when the ball is thrown up. I've heard um, James Manson speak passionately about it. That being said, I'm sure that in a, in a group of three, sometimes four umpires, there is always somebody in that group who bounces the ball well. Let that person bounce the ball. Or let the couple that are good bouncers. I believe three umpires can definitely carry one person who doesn't do the central bounce. No problems whatsoever. That person... If their confidence is down, if they're carrying a slight injury, or if they're traditionally not good bouncers of the ball, simply don't bounce the ball. Yeah, no, fair enough. Agree. All right, let's finish off this segment with the all-important topic of grand final entertainment. And after minutes of speculation, no, probably there has been a bit of speculation, but the uh, grand final lineup has been confirmed. And wow, what a cast of superstars we have. DMA Finding, who apparently are one of Australia's most popular bands. We have Shepherd, who I must admit I wouldn't know were it not for that Hey Geronimo, Hey Geronimo thing. Are they, are they redoing that? First of all, was Shepherd picked because they've got a name that is part of football vernacular? Um, ah, very so, good. Very good. And also, I, are, they could change Geronimo to maybe Jezelenko or Dippier Dominico. Hey, well, Nicole. I know they've got another song that sounds almost exactly the same because uh, a good friend of ours, uh, Joey Pignataro, producing KB's old SEN show, used to use that as the um, as the intro music. Actually, it wasn't KB's show. I think it was the Doctor Turf and uh, it was Doctor Turf on with. Oh, KB, Doctor Turf and KB. It was. Anyway, it sounded exactly the same as the Hey Geronimo one. So they're on the uh, lineup, along with uh, Cub Sport, who are uh, huge, I'm told. And wait for it. <laughs> you want some Wolf Mother? Well, the Triple M boys do. <laughs> well, you haven't got Wolf Mother, but you've got the lead vocalist, Andrew Stockdale. He'll run onto the stage and go something about the Joker and the Thief and then run off again and all the Triple M boys and their acid-washed denim will be pumping their fists because it's probably the only rock song they know 
And uh, then we've got uh, electric fields, finally, which, uh, anyway, I am officially getting old because uh, nine-tenths of that lineup is absolutely meaningless to me. Are you a fan of any of these acts? Right. Um, <laughs> like, I could make some minor changes. So electric fields should be electric dreams and get Giorgio Moroda, who I think I who think died this year, to remember. Uh, electric yeah, fields. it was uh, Phil Loki from Human League, wasn't it? Yeah, together. In, yeah, yeah, together yeah. Dreams. Yeah, no, that was pretty cheesy as well. Go yeah, on. Uh, we could do that. Um, Wolf Mother. Oh boy, like the best thing about Wolf Mother is the rest of the band. <laughs> like, I think there's a decent guitarist and a drummer in there. Not Stockdale, and I know that's a surname that would raise your ire because that sounds like a very liberal surname, liberal party surname to me. Stockdale was well, he from was. the Liberal Party? Alan Stockdale, yeah, he was a treasurer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, So I knew that'd raise your ire. That's like when you said get rid of the bounce. I didn't know whether you were talking about the bounce or the TV show. So... <laughs> Either or. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's just describe the entertainment as very Queensland and I've never found Queensland very entertaining. Now, well, Queensland actually does have a really interesting or did have a really interesting music scene. I mean, you know, everyone was talking about Powderfinger, but the, the Saints came from there, Radio Birdman. That's a problem, though. All these bands, well, not Powderfinger, but the other two, we're talking about like 40 years ago. <laughs> They're all a bit... Uh, a bit um, long in the tooth to be able to do this stuff and Powderfinger felt compelled to come out and release a statement saying they were unavailable as well. So it is what it is, Finey, and don't worry, five minutes after it happens, we'll completely forget about it until next year we start speculating about who's going to be at the grand final. It's going to be a different grand final, whatever the entertainment is. Yeah, well, next year, if it is back in Melbourne, fingers crossed, and, you know, that it's back at the MCG, do we then have the right as Melbournians to say, well, hang on, when it was in Queensland, they were very Queensland-centric on the music. So we can go Melbourne-centric, and that means we could have the runners. <laughs> the um, runners. Yeah, Kevin okay. Bo- was Kevin Borich Express a local band? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, we'll get Kevin Borich Express, the runners. The models. Uh, yeah, the models would be good. Um if St Kilda plays, then Billy Miller will, and the Ferrets can play because he'll be at the game anyhow. What about so, uh, Fighty? What about uh, Uncanny X Men? Perfect. That 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 you know, Brian. Well, if if we had Uncanny X Men playing, um, you need an elevated stage because Brian's five foot two. Yeah, no fair point. He has actually performed at the grand final previously. He, he was talking about that this week on Rock and Roll. He said he was on stage with four or five other guys singing. Can't remember who they were, but uh, there you go. That's how big a, a bigger memory the Grand Final Entertainment usually leaves upon us. All right, uh, we've done more than enough on this segment. We've got two massive preliminary finals to preview. Let's do that now. On Footyology, previews with Punch. Friday night, Adelaide Oval, 7.20 local time, 7.50 on the East Coast. Apart from Brisbane, it'll be 6.50 there, thanks to Daylight Saving and them not having it. But it's a massive game, the first preliminary final between Port Adelaide 
and Richmond. Port on top the entire season. Richmond, the acknowledged heavyweight champs, reigning title holders and shooting for their third premiership in the past four years. What an era it has been for them. They've met once this year, as indeed everyone has. It was in round 11 and it was a classic. Uh, acknowledged probably until that West Coast Collingwood final a couple of weeks back as the game of the season. It resulted in a 21-point win to the power, 13-15-93, defeating the Tigers 11-6-72. Robbie Gray kicked three for Port, two each to Dixon and Laddams. For the Tigers, Jack Rewald kicked three and Jake Arts, the little goal sneak, Kick two. It was neck and neck for three quarters this game, but um, when it came to the pointy end, finally, the power found something extra. They kicked three, four in the final quarter while holding the Tigers scoreless to end up with, in scoreboard terms at least, a reasonably comfortable 21 point win. Uh, how similar a contest do you think we can expect this time? Well, first of all, we don't have similar teams. Port Adelaide will field a pretty similar side, but it's the Tigers that are the point of difference because in that loss, there was no Shane Edwards, Bashar Hawley, David Asprey, Dion Prestia, and the captain Trent Coxon. That is a quantum change, really, in terms of personnel. Well, that's massive, isn't it? It's nearly a quarter of the side. Yeah, but you know what? That being said, Richmond played well that night. You have often quoted Kane Lambert as um, that quote, it's not... Position, not possession. Correct. And they fill those holes with players who understand expertly, expertly coached, understand where to go, what to do to take the place of others. So... I think the output was still pretty good by the Tigers. Should just point out there quickly too, Port had, uh, they didn't have that sort of personnel absent, but they did have a late withdrawal in Connor Rosie, who was an important part of that side. He was a late withdrawal on that occasion. Go on. No, that's a good point. So here we have the most brilliantly balanced clash, I think, in a preliminary final in living memory. Because on one hand, you've got the powerhouse club for the last four years. Unquestionably, Richmond are the standard bearers in AFL football. On the other hand, you've got the first team since 2000 to lead from pillar to post on top of the ladder for the entire season. Have that fantastic win over Geelong in the first final. It sets up for, well, we've said it before, a true heavyweight clash. And which way do you go? For me... These are some of the discussion points, and I'd love to get your take on it, Rowan, because you know what? I haven't really 100% one way or the other made my decision. I'd like to get your take, first of all, on the key forward setups. So Port Adelaide rely heavily on Charlie Dixon. No forward is kicked to more often coming out of the midfield or out of inside 50 than Charlie Dixon. But they've learnt to play around that and his competitive nature has proved to be as good as his marking ability. On the other hand, you've got Tom Lynch, who played extremely well against St Kilda after a short layoff, and Rewalt, his foil, 
who, if not marking and kicking goals, is making space. Now, take the whole forward six as a group. Which one do you think is more potent? Uh, I think Richmond. Um, it's interesting with Port, though. Uh, look, Dixon was pretty good. He kicked in accurately in that game. So, But one thing that did work for them, uh, they had Peter Laddams play up forward for uh, quite an extended period in that game. And he bobbed up with a couple of very handy goals for them. So I think they're conscious of height being a potential disruptor to that Richmond back line. As you point out, though, Asbury wasn't a part of that last time around. So he will make a pretty big difference. So I'd give the points to the Richmond forward setup. although I probably like Port's array of goal kickers a bit more. And this has been a key for them. You know, the number of players they've got who can not only go through the midfield, but go forward and, and hit the scoreboard. Robbie Gray played a, a really great game in this one too. So they'll need him to stand up. But, you know, the likes of Amon, um, Butters was important to them in that uh, game. Rockcliffe played really well. Ollie Wines played one of his best games, not only of the season, but for the club. In that game. The other thing, Finey, uh, which is of interest in that previous meeting, is the statistical discrepancy. Now, this was a game, this was a classic Richmond game in that it lost badly a lot of the statistical categories and just, just still managed to hang in there. And they, they are able to do a fair bit with not a lot. Um, to wit, the disposal differential was uh, around 80 uh, the inside 50 count in that game was Port Adelaide 55. The Tigers only had 24 inside 50s. And this might be significant. They were able to uh, generate 17 scores from just 24 inside 50s. So that's an area that Port will have had to have drilled, on, uh, drilled down on as well. But the midfield battle was definitely won by Port in this. The centre bounce clearances were 20 to 5. They had a big win in contested possession. That's not an area that Richmond really focuses on too much. They had a lot more uncontested uh, ball wins as well. And the marks inside 50 were 12-5. So as you say, Lynch coming back probably changes that whole equation in terms of certainly the marks inside 50. And that centre clearance domination, which Richmond have had to face all year being on the wrong end of, changes dramatically with Prestia in the side, of course, Prestia, Cochin and Martin setting up in the midfield is pretty elite, isn't it? So the real question to me is that this game now is decided by psyche, psychology. And what I mean by that is Richmond were undisciplined in the first final. And there were certainly, even though not under as much scoreboard pressure, glimpses of it in the second final. Tom Lynch's indiscretion. Um, he's certainly capable of wayward behaviour. There were a couple of other incidences. Um, Trent Coxon, uh, a 50 metre that could have been paid. You've got a big crowd baying for your blood there in South Australia. It'll be all Port Adelaide. And if Richmond find themselves facing a deficit during the game, can they hold their nerve? And do they have some players that, go off script when that happens. That seemed to be the case in the first final and a touch of it in the second final. Do you think that discipline and mentality will play a role? Well, potentially, but I, I just, I think that when it comes to the big moments, Richmond 
tend to play the percentages pretty well. I mean, the, the discipline thing has been pivotal to them in a couple of losses, I would say. Certainly that Port one first time around, it was a, a factor in that. It was a factor in the qualifying final loss. I mean, they'd be very aware of that. I think they will have tightened up on it suitably. Look, for me, in the end, this is going to come down to the midfield. These two teams, incidentally, are ranked, uh, or overall for this season, are ranked second and third for inside 50 entries. So they're both known to generate a lot of scores. I can't finally get past the changes to that Richmond side. Incoming Prestia, Cochin, Edwards, Hooley, Asbury. So you're stiffening up your back line with a key position player in Asbury. You're creating more rebound via Hooley. The midfield, though, Prestia, Cochin, Shane Edwards, the serially and criminally underrated Shane Edwards. I don't think Port can have anything like that sort of midfield dominance again. Uh, or if they are to do so, I think not just Wines, but Rockcliffe and Boak are going to have to play three of the best games of their careers. Balance of probabilities from that regard to me suggests Richmond, plus the experience. And plus, and I'd hate to dwell on it yet again, the pre-finals buy. Port Adelaide will go into this game having played one game in a block of 25 days. I think if you're a, a relative inexperienced finals team, that has the potential to wreak even more havoc than we've seen it wreak on experienced teams. We've seen Geelong come a cropper through this with a slow start. We saw Collingwood do it last year. We saw Richmond do it themselves two years ago. I think that we're going to be talking about the pre-finals by again after these preliminary finals because I think Port probably hasn't had enough footy of late and I think Richmond is getting on a roll and cranking up to 100%. On that basis, uh, it's not necessarily what I want to see happen because I've loved watching Port and Brisbane play this year, but I'm going for the Tigers to win this one. Such a hard call. I think for Port Adelaide to win... They just need to be on song. They need to be kicking, taking their opportunities with goal. Robbie Gray, who's had a, an up-and-down season, no doubt about it, some very good and some noticeably absent performances. He needs to fire. They just need to... And they can... We, we've seen that they can be crisp and irresistible. But in a preliminary final against Richmond, that is hard to be. And I just think... If it does come down to one of those desperate preliminary final scraps, which it may well do, Richmond's experience, Richmond's um, ability to have that one champion, that, that luxury, I should say, not ability, luxury of having a match winner in Damian Martin to throw, uh, <laughs> Damian Martin, Dustin Martin to throw forward, gives them that slight edge that is that edge you need in what I think will be a game decided by a slight margin. So I defer to not the best team of the year, but the best team of this football age to win the preliminary final. All right. We are both going for Richmond. That is one of the preliminary finals analysed and tipped. Let's do the other one. The second preliminary final, Saturday evening, 6.40 local time, but uh, with daylight saving, 7.40pm 
on most of the eastern seaboard. It is Geelong taking on Brisbane, or rather Brisbane, their high-ranked side. They are officially the home side, or they're in every way the home side, taking on Geelong. They met previously in round six at, of all places, the Sydney Cricket Ground. And this resulted in a very impressive 27-point win to the Cats, 11 goals, 7, 73. Defeated Brisbane, 6, 10, 46. Hawkins kicked three for the Cats, two goals each to Ablett, Rowan and Menegola. The only multiple goal kicker for Brisbane that night was Cam Rayner with two. And this was a game absolutely defined by one of the best individual quarters of footy played by a side in 2020. The Cats in the third term, after struggling through much of the first half, they're actually down 20 plus points at one stage, struggled to just three goals at half time, still trailed by 10 points at half time, but held Brisbane to just one behind in the third quarter while they themselves slammed on seven goals three. It was a devastating burst of football, which wasn't lost on any of us, I don't think. And more uh, impressively, they did this despite being down two rotations because both Mitch Duncan and Quinton Narkel in that game were off before halftime with hamstring injuries. It was a very, very impressive performance, Finey, and it's one which uh, I can't help but have informed my selection for this game. What are your memories of that one? Yeah, if this game was at the SCG, I might place great store in it. But of course, this game is at the Gabba, part of this historic final series. It will see a grand final played at the Gabba. And there is a sense of sort of um, destiny about Brisbane being part of the party in southeast Queensland that celebrates Australian rules football like never before and maybe never again. To that end, I don't know, I just sometimes get the feeling that the AFL has a picture of what grand final day will look like. I certainly felt that way in 2005 when Sydney made the grand final. And I think their mind's eye view of this year's grand final includes Brisbane. How that manifests itself, I don't know. But I do know this, that both teams could not have been impressive, more impressive in their victories that have got them to this game. Brisbane's defeat of Richmond was breathtaking, wasn't it? Uh, They had a genuine opponent that night. Richmond pushed and pushed. Richmond led and looked like they were going to bust the game open in the second quarter, as they so often do on their own terms. But it was Brisbane who actually went into that halftime break with a notable lead because of late goals and Lockie Neal, who had been possessionless in the first quarter, came good in the second and kicked a magnificent long goal from a free kick inspirational stuff. Hipwood was a menace, even though not kicking accurately. And they got hold of Richmond and they put them off their tucker. And as for Geelong's annihilation of Collingwood, the only asterisk to that was, did Collingwood turn up? But you can't knock Geelong for their ability to absolutely prey on a team that's not right. Now, that means if Brisbane do not put their best foot forward during this game, we've seen so many times. And at the Gabba, at the Gabba against St Kilda, at the Gabba against Port Adelaide, at the Gabba against Richmond, this very ground, how good Geelong can be. 
it does make, again, for an incredibly difficult decision. I'll defer back to you into what maybe the different ground home ground has to play in this game and their form leading into this game before I make my final decision again, Roko. No, I, I think the, the ground factor is certainly a very, very good point. The SCG, obviously, a lot shorter goal-to-goal than most grounds. And I think it enables you, if you get a hold of a centre square, it enables you to score more easily than most grounds. And I think um, you'd be silly to ignore that as a large factor. And, of course, the obvious one, the, the home ground advantage. Brisbane's record at the uh, the Gabatoir, as it's come to be known again since their resurgence, um, is uh, intimidating, to say the least, for uh, opponents. And the home crowd being an obvious part of that. Gee, it's loud. The, the, um, the way it's been redeveloped, that ground, the crowd noise really does pack a punch. Um, and that'll certainly be working in their favour. Look, to me, I mean, it, it, it is a bit cliched, but to me, again, this comes down to the midfield. Now, um, it's an interesting one with Geelong. They restored um, Simpson to the side last week. And he's a player they rate very highly, and he was particularly good in this game, uh, the previous meeting between these sides. He ended up with 27 disposals in that game. He had Dangerfield with 26 and Menegola with 26. Brisbane midfield uh, lowered its colours that night. Lockie Neal still ended up with 26 disposals. But the next uh, biggest possession winner that evening was Jared Lyons with 20. They didn't have another player with more than 20 disposals. So Geelong... And this is what they do well. They're able to just keep opposition hands off the football. We saw that starkly last week against the Pies, didn't we? When the Pies were held to something like 200 disposals, an incredibly low tally in this day and age. They just play keepings off when they're in defence. They then have the capacity to switch to a higher gear. And we saw that on show when they beat Brisbane last time with that seven-goal third quarter. So one thing I don't think they'll be able to do, and this is critical too, I don't think they'll be able to have the luxury of playing Dangerfield as uh, forward for as long as spells as they did last week against the Pies. And that's simply because they will need that midfield roll call of depth uh, more um, pressingly against Brisbane than they did against the Pies. Brisbane's midfield is long um, and it's prolific and they're going to need all hands on deck for that. That means that a guy like Tom Hawkins has to fire. But I think he can. I think this is one game where Tom Hawkins' physical strength and mobility poses a real threat, even to a player as good as Harris Andrews and the other support defenders. I think also the medium-sized goal kicking is going to be important. I think a guy like Gary Rowan could prove critical in a game like this too. And he bobbed up last time and uh, did some damage at critical times. Look, the Cats' best, I've said this all year, the Cats' best is absolutely as good, if not better, than anyone else's in the competition. Can they sustain it for long enough in a game of this importance? Well, there's another factor, I think, that is making me lean towards the Cats, and that is the legacy, the weight of history. They are sick of being tagged as finals flakes. Um, they restored that a little bit last week, but their record in finals since the 2011 flag is still a pretty miserable 5-12. and 12. They're a better side than that. They're a side whose consistent 
high performance over a number of years now deserve better return than they've been got. This could be the last chance they get to do it. They fell to the oldest side in league history a couple of weeks ago. I still think most of those guys are, are somewhere near their best, but this may be their last hurrah. So time to make hay while the sun shines. I think that's enough motivation for them. I was impressed enough with them last week. And again, uh, and I hate the pre-finals by, I can see that having an impact. Brisbane perhaps being a bit slow out of the blocks, which to me could be all the difference. On all those factors, I'm going for a Geelong victory. Well, and here we differ. I think that Geelong in the last three years has had an Achilles heel. And it's something that Brisbane are well-placed to take advantage of. And that is that when they do get beaten, and we sometimes point to their taller, less mobile backline as being central to the problem. Now, we know that Blitzarves plays back quite a bit. He's fast, but he's tall. He rucks. Harry Taylor, uh, we've certainly seen slow down in recent years. There is a vulnerability there. O'Connor and Henry are both good hard-working, serviceable backmen, but they're not small backmen per se. Tom Stewart is an excellent, excellent reader of the play, wonderful sweeper. Um, again, doesn't necessarily play, would be taken away from his best role if forced to play man-on-man with a small forward. That's not his position. And Colin Jasny is a larger, less mobile backman as well. Even Buse, when called into such service, often plays on the smaller forward, and that might be where the trouble starts because Charlie Cameron can have his ups and downs, but his first final was exhilarating, best on ground. He is an omnipresent danger. Lincoln McCarthy, who famously won Brisbane this game, the former cat last year, also a drop of the ball danger. Even McCluggage who is profligate in front of goal, gets forward and does a lot of good roving work, as does uh, the less heralded forwards in the likes of, well, not less heralded, but maybe less um, experienced in Cam Rayner. He's an aerialist, but also showed in the first final, very good off the ground. Uh, Keep an eye on the likes of Berry and Bailey, also dangerous. And I just think at the drop of the ball in the forward line, especially with Stefan Martin back in the team, affording Brisbane to play Oscar McInerney up forward for most of the game, we know that McInerney and McStay are there for the contest. And I think that contest and the ball that is at the foot of that contest will win Brisbane this game. I'm tipping the Lions. All right. No, very well argued. Uh, they are two extraordinarily hard games to tip. Um, they are great matchups. Uh, they're a, a definite contrast. And we eagerly await both games. Should be absolute cracking stuff. Uh, often, preliminary final weekend is the best weekend of a season. I reckon these two games could be absolute corkers. Well, there you have uh, both games analysed. Our tips for both. I think that leaves one thing on the Footyology podcast agenda, Mark, and I think that is us going off our cruets. Let's do that now. On Footyology, the rant off. All right, Fanny, last week was deadly serious, and this week is too, but uh, I'm prepared to go a little bit uh, 
a little bit vaudeville with this one. Uh, I think I've got a, a good topic that's certainly generating plenty of discussion. It's certainly rantable material. So I'd like you to uh, count me in, if you will. I do hope we've got an I'm pissed off finally as well. I'll find out in a second. Rowan goes in three, two, and one. I'm pissed off with everyone behind that stunt about moving a bit of MCG turf to the Gabba for the grand final, finey. That's the AFL, the MCG, the MCC, the curator, turf provider HG Turf, the grass curators, transport experts, and horticulturalists, and, of course, Rebel Sport, who sponsored the whole little shebang. There's a lot of people and presumably a reasonable amount of money involved in a stunt which makes them all feel good about themselves for the few seconds of cheap publicity it attracts, but frankly makes most of us Melburnians cringe a little inside. Yeah, sure, we're not wrapped about not having the grand final this year. We might feel a little bit sentimental on the day, but I'm not sure transplanting a three-by-one square metre bit of MCG goal square is really going to alleviate it that much. And call me a killjoy, but I reckon after being locked up for the last eternity, we might all have some bigger fish to fry than getting all weepy about a bit of grass that in reality is probably about as old and sacred as the AFLX competition. That's the thing about sentiment. You can't manufacture it. You can't box it up like a commodity and tell everyone it's something that should be tugging on their heartstrings. It's spontaneous. It's unexpected. It's not a show. I'm a bit worried about the dangers to public health too. I mean, is this bit of turf going to have to go into quarantine once it arrives in Brisbane? Does it have to wear a mask? Well, turf lives and breathes, doesn't it? It'd want to be a pretty big mask emblazoned with some sort of sponsor, no doubt. I'm not sure the announcement about this yesterday had the sort of response they were looking for either. Mostly all it seemed to do was involve people in other states taking the piss out of us. Is this the most Melbourne thing ever? I saw a Sydney Sports Journal write on Twitter. Well, not quite, perhaps. That would have involved a bit of turf wearing a ceremonial black skivvy and carrying a takeaway espresso on top. And how come we're apparently all so much more sentimental now than 30 years ago? When they had to play the 1991 grand final out at Waverley, I don't seem to remember any similar routines with MCG turf. And VFL Park's part of our grand final heritage too now, isn't it? Why don't they throw in some memorabilia from there as well? You know, like a bit of the infamous Batmobile or preferably Angry Anderson's larynx. Why not one of the donut bands from outside the MCG? One of the footy record sellers. The megaphone they use outside the G to advise people which bits of the ground are still available that somehow turns into a running two-hour commentary on seating plans. I wonder what this whole exercise is costing and whether that money might have been put to better use. Any ideas? Oh, I don't know, maybe something stupid and inconsequential like helping preserve the jobs of the hundreds of people in the football industry now out of work because of the pandemic. Okay, okay, so us Melburnians are all a bit testy and extra sensitive at the moment, but it really is insulting our intelligence a bit. And I'll say this, Finey, if Richmond or Geelong ends up winning the grand final and I see either Dusty Martin or Paddy Dangerfield run over to that little bit of hallowed MCG grass and plant a reverential kiss on it. And the immortal words of Terry Wallace, I'll spew up. Beautiful. Yeah. Talk about trite. Ugh. And the only thing I think it could be is a very um, sneak, you know, a really sort of well 
organised by organised crime, dry run to blueprint running illegal marijuana from Melbourne to Queensland. And it's that sort of a sneaky Trojan horse. Or is the modern Trojan horse the Queensland boogie board? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure plenty of people have tried to uh, export sneaker lease marijuana from Melbourne to Brisbane, though it probably didn't have the benefit of corporate sponsorship, AFL backing and a huge refrigerated van to do it. Um, anyway, yes, that certainly uh, got on my core a bit. All right, are you ready to rant? I am certainly ready to rant. All right, well, I'm going to count you in now. Three, two, one, rant. All Melbournians are waiting for Sunday's announcement by Daniel Andrews to find out how we are going to step out of lockdown four, whether we're still in lockdown four. And look, I understand all businesses are desperate to reopen, but there seems to be one industry that is calling loudest and getting most attention by airtime on television and current uh, television news programs and current affair programs. It is the beauty industry hairdressers, uh, nail salons, even uh, wrinkle fillers and Botox appliers, though I wonder why an expressionless face is important in these desperate times. They all want to be considered emergency services. And I heard a hairdresser on the news last night make an impassioned plea and say, look, it really is now a, a mental health issue as to how people look and feel about themselves. Now, I studied psychology for three years at Swinburne, and I absolutely agree that self-image, self-worth is part of good mental health. But I can also tell you that in times of crisis, people are very good at coping, adapting, making sacrifices, and working for the greater good to overcome the enemy. Actually, I did psychology with 500 students a year there, and I don't remember any of them doing psychology as part of a hairdressing degree. So I don't even know why I'm arguing the toss with beauty cutters of Bayswater. The fact is that we all are looking a little bit scrubby. But I've got to say, when I go down the street, I'm still noticing plenty of well-coiffed women, which makes me wonder, are hairdressers making clandestine runs to their clients? hiding scissors in loaves of bread, pretending that hair dye is cough mixture and saying that they're visiting an isolated ill aunt with food and medicine? Hmm, there's one to think about. Look, there are no restaurants like nightclubs, pubs, going out venues to worry about. Does it really matter what we look like for the family that we're locked away with? I mean, have a look at Rowan. He's only one hot spot away from being able to do his own man button. Like Josh Bruce or Nick Haynes, footyology could have their own man button presenter. The fact is that we are a little bit self-obsessed. I mean, look, as a social commentator on another... By the way, what is a bloody social commentator? Um, a hack. Yeah, a, if, why is there commentary on society? Are there special comments people for social commentary? Do they have, hey, have they got boundary riders? I guess they do. They're, they're probably called curb crawlers. Anyhow, a social commentator said, well, we 
really don't need a spring carnival because even if the crowds were allowed to go, without beauty services, nobody would be attending. Are you telling me that people go to be seen and not to watch the horse racing? If that's the case, who cares if they go or not? Look, we all don't look like Howard Hughes, that famous American tycoon who didn't cut his hair or his toenails or fingernails in his last decade of life. And if we do, have you heard of nail clippers and scissors and the old bowl around the head? You can survive. Oh, what to do for Rebecca Judd and her cohorts, grey roots spouting, exposed cuticles, rough bunions, creased foreheads. <laughs> Don't look at me, I'm a monster. Vanity, thy name is truly Melbourne. <laughs> Uh, that was excellent. That was excellent. That was one of your best, Fonny. Very, very good. I must admit, I was getting a, a little bit, uh, a little bit funny about my hair, and then I just sort of reached the point of no return, and now I'm just going with it. I've got the little, uh, the little mullety, rat's taily, upturned bits at the bottom happening again. There's uh, 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 Damon showing us a picture of himself looking a bit, uh, yeah, without the glasses. He's a bit of a Mrs. Jones, you're beautiful about our producer. Oh, Damon with his man bun. Yeah, well, our producer has joined the party as well. Where will this end? We could be back to the mid-70s and genuine hippiedom soon. But uh, I must say, Fanny, uh, forgive me if you will, I will be watching that announcement on Sunday and perhaps keeping a couple of fingers crossed that hairdressers might actually be on the unbanned list because I am desperate for a haircut, I have to say. Me I, think there might, I think there might be a fair... Um, log jam at your local hairdresser. So get in early. Oh, no, I've got in there. She was on the phone to me several weeks ago saying that whenever they reopened, I was one of the first cabs off the rank. And that is the wonderful establishment called Annika Hair in Glenferry Road, Malvern. Uh, there, is, there is one observation I forgot to make. Yes. Um, I guess one argument on the side of beauticians and it shows our priorities, you know that you can get your dog's hair clipped. So you can get you, the dog beautician remains open, just the human one isn't. Is that right? Okay. Yeah, we got our dog's hair clipped the other day. You couldn't ask the dog cutter to yes, give I yours did. a snip? Oh, you did, yeah. As a joke, I said, um, you don't have a spare slot for a human being, do you? She goes, you're about the 30th person that's asked that. <laughs> yeah. oh, lovely. All right, that uh, brings us to the end of this program. It's been fun. Uh, quick shout-out to our sponsors, please, Fanny. Of course. Andrew's Hamburgers do no haircuts, but they take no shortcuts. They're at 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, and they are the best hamburgers in town. And when you talk about in town, why not be top of the town with a Nick Bartels West Point property build house take advantage of what will be a frantic property market. If you are looking to sell, take best advantage of what you've got with a wonderful renovation. West Point Properties, Nick's Bartels. And a quick shout out to our wonderful audience. Uh, we really appreciate your loyalty. Hope you're still enjoying what we have to provide. Uh, if so, there are a couple of ways you can support us. You can head to the podcast supporters page right here on the ACAST platform. You'll see the link wherever you're listening to this, and also our Patreon page, uh, Patreon, a platform 
for supporting independent quality journalism. And we like to think we're providing a fair bit of that, not just via the podcast and Footyology Final Siren live stream, which of course will be there for both preliminary finals this weekend, but footyology.com.au, a website full not only of the best football analysis, but commentary on society fighting, social commentary, and film, music, TV, you name it. In fact, a, a terrific piece today, Thursday, from TV freak Scott Goodings about John McEnroe's latest TV venture. Um, and uh, it's a pretty good show too. I caught up with it on Netflix last night. Not bad. Uh, all right, that is it for this week. Let's hope we have two great preliminary finals. We'll be back on Sunday to talk about both of them in detail. Until then, I don't know, until then, do whatever you need to do and we'll catch you later. Listener.